Welcome to Spiro Avenue. And now your host, Justin Spiro. Welcome back to Spiro Avenue. Justin Spiro, your host. And we have a very special outing here on Spiro Avenue to welcome us back. Jag in Detroit is our producer tonight. We like to welcome in Eric Vincent and Sam Day, also known as Stick. These two gentlemen had an interesting exchange on Facebook uh, a few days back. They were getting a little bit heated on social media, as we are wont to do these days in 2018. And we said, you know, let's get this a little bit more formalized. We're going to bring them in and have a civilized, hopefully, political debate. We want to first start off just with a quick introduction. Tell us a little bit about yourself and why are you here today? Is Eric? this where we do like the political shake before yeah, we get do, started? You guys agree. You er, Eric, why I don't you start? Uh, <laughs> exactly. What are you doing here, Eric? Why are you here right now? Well, I'm here with uh, three friends of mine. Good to see uh, be here with you fellas. Pretty much just to open some dialogue that's much necessary. You said in 2018 people are a little bit more vocal with their opinions regarding you know politics and social issues and I mean, I think it's kind of a long time coming. So if we can put it on social media and talk about it over the Internet, we can sit and talk about it in a room as friends. I mean, me and Stick have been friends. He's really one of the big reasons of my career was able to project in the first place. You know, me and Jag go way back. And then me and you as well have known each other for now a couple of years. So I'm expecting good things out of this conversation. Happy to be here. And uh, let's keep this thing moving. Stick, what do you got? I'm here because I made the mistake of getting in a Facebook argument, which <laughs> I promise myself <laughs> all the time that I'm not going to do. I'm not going to do. But sometimes... Even good friends like Eric post stuff that you just got to be like, man, my friends can't believe that. Like, my, my friends got to know better. I love this guy. Like, he's got to know better. So that's pretty much why I'm here. I guess I could say it. Uh, I'm out of the closet on uh, Facebook. I'm a Trump supporter. I, I, I like what he's done. I like what he's doing. It's rare to find somebody that will actually say that, uh, especially on Facebook, especially with the group of friends we have because you're going to get attacked. I've had people message my wife, like, how can you be married to him and stuff like that. So that's pretty much it. I, I want to defend the good guys that support Trump. We're not all bigots. We're not all racist. We're not all pitchforks and crazy. We have some good stances. Yeah, and well, hopefully we get that brought to light today. See, I didn't even know until five minutes ago that you were a Trump supporter. So that that's <laughs> because you, you get a lot of the, you know, because I think Eric is the, the liberal in the room and and you're more on the conservative side, but even a lot of conservatives have pushed back on Donald Trump and said that he doesn't represent me and my views. So right. I think it's actually a good thing for the spirit of this debate in this context that you do like him because I think it'll make it a little more polar polarizing in a good way, hopefully. Yeah, I love the guy. I'm 31 years old. We're at a point now, it's the low point in my life that I've seen with the political discourse, how the sides absolutely despise each other. Uh, maybe it's revisionist history, but my memory of the 90s, early 2000s, like Bill Clinton was kind of a, you know, everyone knew he was a deviant and it was kind of funny and everyone thought George W. Bush was kind of a stupid, you know, relative to other presidents, a stupid guy. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of a, a fodder for SNL. There wasn't this notion of I want to destroy the other side and I, the left is ruining this country or the right are all evil, racist, bigot, homophobes. I think we're at the low point now. So this is going to be sort of the frame of this discussion. I want to start with you, Stick. There's a political analyst. Uh, his name is Bill Schneider, back in October, said that the U.S. is the most divided it has ever been in its history <laughs> since the Civil War. So since the Civil War, we are at the lowest point in terms of political divisiveness. Hillary Clinton recently said in response to his comments, I'm going to read the quote directly. She said, quote, you cannot be civil with a political party that wants to destroy what you stand for, end quote. So things are bad now. I think we can all agree. Hillary Clinton is saying 
you can't be civil. Not just, you know, things are bad, but things are bad and they should be bad and we're going to continue that because that's what you have to do. Do you see a path to unifying the country where we can stop the nonsense and stop bickering at each other and trying to destroy the other side? Well, first of all, for using Hillary Clinton as our barometer for morality, we're all in a lot of trouble. Uh, we're in a lot of trouble. So her opinion to me on that situation is kind of null and void. I do see a situation where we all become one, and I have seen it in my lifetime. Unfortunately, it comes with tragedy. Uh, 9-11 is probably the last example where it was everybody was on the same team. We all understood that it didn't matter if you were black, white, whatever color that you were. If you were in that building, you were American and you were the enemy of the people attacking us. So unfortunately, I, I always hate to say this, but it's going to take a moment of tragedy. It's going to take something big, like a big bang, to bring us all together, if that's even possible. But I think it is, because I look at Eric, I look at jag i look at my friends in my life who are all colors all shapes all sizes and our lives are fulfilled more because of each other i know like more about culture because of my friends so hopefully the world finally gets to that spot especially here in the u.s oh it'll be interesting to see i mean god forbid an equivalent to 9-11 doesn't happen again right. i mean god I, believe forbid. me i'm not advocating that but well, i'm just saying course. pointing to that that's the only time that everybody like hugged each other well my question for you is to follow up though is let's say an equivalent to 9-11 happened i'm not even going to imagine what that would look like but let's just say an equivalent tragedy some type of terrorist strike kills 3,000 americans do you think that our response would be to unify because i'm not so sure if that would happen i think there'd be a lot of the finger pointing and people blaming donald trump and i mean do you think that would even unify us now I, i'm not so sure it would yeah i think it would i think it would anytime yeah. you attack the home team people will unite together eric where do you where do you stand on this i mean do you see a, a way out of this obviously i'm talking on a reasonable timeline the world probably isn't going to end tomorrow i think we can all agree sometime in the next 200 years things will be better but, you know, in the more immediate future, five to ten years, do you see a path for these sides to unify at least somewhat to be where it's not so polarized like it is right now? No. No, I don't believe so at all. I'm just going off of the patterns of what I've seen from America. America's always been divided. If we're being completely honest, he says it's been as divided as it's been through the Civil War. I mean, we've seen a lot of stages in America where, you know, even after slavery in the Civil War, I mean, Jim Crow in the Civil Rights era, people of different races still couldn't get along. And I mean, even kind of sticking to what Stick was talking about in terms of how he's learned of culture because of his friends, I think that's the first step. And I think what we see in this world now, even what you said in your opening statement as well, you know, you didn't want to get in a Facebook argument and people don't want to get into social media debates, mainly because people aren't listening. And I think us being in this room helps elevate that opportunity. But at the same time, those conversations are where the launch pad has to be. And I think because people refuse to let that happen and people refuse to understand the sides of the other man or the other woman, conversations just kind of end up getting lost. So sticking back to our conversation on Facebook, the post was about Sean King. He said this is a scary time in America, which I completely agree with. We went back and forth. You disagreed. I think it is. But you, we kind of wrapped up our portion of the conversation by saying, <laughs> right. what's the solution? What's next? What can we do to make it happen? You do a very good job of listening and paying attention to why people feel the way they feel. And I think that's a big disconnect in America because people are so busy trying to force their own views and 
you know, what they view important instead of understanding why the disenfranchised and the offended party feel how they feel. And I think that's where it has to start if we're going to see any kind of progress in America. It's an interesting response. I, I think, I don't want to put words in your mouth, are you suggesting that the premise that things are particularly bad now is inaccurate and that this has sort of been the status quo that we've been divided for yeah, Forever, I th- basically. yeah, I think th- to say that it's bad now, I mean, it wasn't good like four years ago because while Obama was in office, there was another side that wasn't happy. I loved Obama, but I mean, I'm pretty sure there was, like you said, another side that felt like they were um, excluded from the American narrative or didn't feel like they were being included in the mission of, you know, progressing in this country. So, yeah, I don't I just I feel like we've always been divided and at odds with each other instead of on the same path trying to work towards a better tomorrow. I want to bring Jag into this. You know, I know uh, Jag, our producer here, has uh, a lot of thoughts politically, and you're pretty vocal yourself. Like, where do you stand on this, Jag? I agree with Eric in that there's always been a lot of division. I think what's been different lately is that it's been brought to the surface, and there are a number of reasons for that. One of them is you look at Facebook, and Facebook showing you algorithms from your friends. A lot of times, people that you agree with politically, I can tell you that you know, 90% of my feed as someone on the left who dislikes Trump is people who dislike Trump. I'm posting about anti-Trump things, so I'm seeing more anti-Trump things. And you get siloed and you get put into an area where you have like-minded people getting all fired up as opposed to listening to the other side. Mm-hmm. And and I'm sure Stick will take issue with me saying this. I think another factor of what's going on is Trump himself in the way he tweets and what he says. I feel like his modus operandi is to gin up his base, people who support him, get them fired up. And I think the way he does that is this us versus them thing. And I have not seen Trump in a lot of ways reach out to people because I see him on Twitter blaming everybody for everything and calling everybody out and getting angry with people and blaming everybody as opposed to trying to bring people together for a solution. I would chime in just to say I do think there was a divisiveness that predated Trump. I think he has become sort of the convenient boogeyman for a lot of people. But I think this. he's ex- I think he's ex- he's exploiting it to his own advantage. Oh, I, I, I totally agree with that. I am an acquaintance of Roger Stone, which is a controversial stance to take uh, for a lot of people. And he was a guest on the podcast as well. He was. I produced the, that episode, I believe. Yeah, you were here for that, I believe. Yeah. Roger told me something interesting. He told me he was working on Trump's campaign. He was Donald Trump's campaign manager. Um, when he first started in uh, 2015, and he lasted for a few months and then resigned. His perspective was interesting. He told me Donald Trump built his campaign by listening to right-wing radio, Rush Limbaugh, for example, hearing what the callers were saying, what people were mad about, and that's how he built his platform. That's something Roger told me, not off the record, but in private. And I asked him if I could repeat that in a podcast, and I already have. I've mentioned this once before. Yeah, but that's been going on yeah. in politics since the beginning of time. I mean, you listen to what the people want, and you give it to them. Like, lower taxes. But do you listen to all the people or just one side of it? He was fishing where they weren't. Hillary, during the campaign, didn't make an effort to talk to middle-class America. She never came to— And like, that's where she lost. And that's where I she lost. I agree with that as well, yep. So I don't blame somebody for taking a smart strategy ever. If you're smart and, like, he spent less than half the money she spent on her campaign because he used uh, social media platforms. To me, I was having this conversation the other day. Twitter was going irrelevant before Donald Trump hopped back on it. You're absolutely right. Like, Twitter was dying. Everybody was bailing off of it, but he gave it relevance again. He used that social platform to where it became intriguing. But, Stick, is there a difference between 
using it as a candidate and using it as the president. Yeah, why is he still in? Why is he still in campaign mode? Like he already he won two years ago and he can't stop talking about Hillary because like, people are I, still telling him he didn't win. I mean, this guy is as competitive as you're going to find in any aspect of anything you do in life. And then when you win, and you actually win, you're the president for two years, and people, you're still not my president. It's like, all right, you don't believe it? I'm going to keep showing you. I'm your president. But there are always going to be naysayers to the president, whether you're Bush or Obama or Trump or whomever. And it seems like he gravitates toward the conflict as opposed to working together on a solution. See, I think he just doesn't avoid the conflict. A lot of people will let people throw stones at him. This guy doesn't let that happen. He's going to fire back, and he's going to fire back harder, and it's going to hurt worse. To be fair, I mean, I, Larry King, I think we all know who Larry King is, had a Secret Service agent on a few years back, uh, right at the end of Obama's presidency. And his, uh, it was a guy who had worked for the Secret Service with Obama in office. He had since retired. He said they had more death threats for Barack Obama than for every other president combined in the history of the country. That guy got more death threats than every president prior combined. So, again, Donald Trump's not the first guy that had people freaking out. I mean, I think he, Donald Trump was a response to Barack Obama. Whatever you think of Barack Obama, good or bad, I think he was polarizing for a lot of people, and then it flipped sort of the other way. And I think Trump went directly to the people that had problems with Obama, some of which were legit maybe, some that were clearly not. I mean, the citizenship, the birther issue— it was an embarrassment to the country. But again, you want to talk about how Donald Trump built his platform? Donald Trump became politically relevant in the modern era talking about this birther issue. So I do think they're playing off each other. I think Donald Trump is something we've seen before. He's just an extreme example of it. And he's 100 percent. This is nothing new at all. He's yeah. another guy, another white guy that's kind of toting his own views. And like you said, he's still fueling campaign mode. And I don't understand it. One issue I took, which is what you were saying in terms of unifying the country, that what it would take is you said another 9-11. As if tragedies aren't happening already. As if like school shootings aren't happening like every other week. Well, those are considered attacks like, on the country. Domestic. I'm talking an Still outside an issue, so, though, right? It is, but that's not gonna unify the country. You know what I mean? Because it's happening inside the home. It's like you and school shootings wouldn't unify people. Unfortunately, no, man. Unfortunately, sticks not. right. Yeah, <laughs> sticks right. Like, wow. I mean, for people who I'm not, they sh- maybe they should. Here's, but here's nothing changed after Sandy Hook. Go ahead, go ahead. Here's just a quick example. Okay, say you're married, you and your wife hate each other you're fighting in your own home someone breaks into your home who are you against and who are you with you're going to partner with your wife against the person that's attacking your home even though you're spatting internally and of course so that's just kind of a micro example i mean i don't think those like kind of correlate we're seeing an issue whether people we're not talking about like reform versus no reform like i'm not saying like that's like the conversation i'm saying people are uniting in wanting some sort of change in seeing less gun violence or school shootings. No one wants to wake up and see, you know, a kid getting shot right. at any school. I don't school think anybody like endorses that. school shootings. I think <laughs> the people that are against, quote-unquote, taking their guns and stuff, they're not for school shootings. Like, I don't get how that's the perception. Right, no, I'm saying my, my point is that there's still tragedy and conflict happening in America where we could look at these things where we could sit down and say, how can we make this better? Whether, it be, school, whether it be school shootings or border separation with, you know, parents and children, with immigrants, whatever it may be. It's a lot of different things that we could. But see, that's what I'm saying, though. People don't want to talk about these things and they laugh. At, I'll they, talk about it, but you're not going to want to hear because you want to hear that we should keep all these families together, that they're not breaking the law, that we should just welcome all of them in. And it's like, nope. to me, you break the law, you deal with the consequences. Nope. 
CPS comes in. They take kids all the time from American families because they're not holding up their end of the bargain for their family. I want to start at step one because people are not even having the conversation about it. The only time I hear about this talked about is on Twitter. Whenever I see Trump getting asked these questions about, he deflects and talks about fake news this, fake news that. I want to see the real conversation happen, and we don't see that enough. Let's like That's the about, real problem. Let's talk about the media because that was my next question anyway, so you gave me a perfect segue. I'll start with you, Boom. Eric. <laughs> well, well done. Unintentional, but well done, nonetheless. There's this perception on the right versus left about this media right now where Donald Trump is convinced the media is out to get him, that he is the most persecuted by the media president in history. He has said this repeatedly. And the other side feels that the media is being denied access. The media has covered him fairly, and if he would just behave better, that it wouldn't be a problem. So they're on complete opposite sides of the argument. Do you think, point blank, that the media has been reasonably fair to Donald Trump, yes or no? Um, No. I feel like both sides have their agenda. Fox News fights to protect him. CNN's fighting to destroy him. I feel like both sides of the fence have their own like kind of vision of what they see, and they push based on pretty much what Donald Trump is doing now, which is feeding their base. For TV, that's what their focus is, instead of addressing and solving real issues and bringing forth facts and resolution to the matter. I don't feel like that's what their goal is. Like, people are all about hot takes and, you know, as many clicks and likes as possible. And I feel like to push their own narrative, we're seeing that from both sides. So I don't put a ton of stock in CNN or Fox News. I feel like a lot of what's going on in the media is just kind of shooting downward and to be totally honest and then in speaking about trump's response i feel like it is kind of immature you're going to have your naysayers and people who question your tactics regardless obama had the same thing again hecklers and media members that he didn't disagree with but you can't demand you know you pull jim acosta's media credentials because you didn't like him asking the question like that's just ridiculous like i don't feel like that's the response we need i feel like he does a lot more dividing than unifying or he doesn't show enough professionalism as the leader of the free world and i think that is the biggest issue in terms of the media and his reception and i'll give you a chance to respond on the second stick i'll tell you this though I went to the, the best journalism school in the country, Michigan State. Second best, Syracuse. J- JAG actually went to the second best, <laughs> oh, uh, Syracuse. Yeah. But uh, to tell you a quick story, first day of class with a journalism professor, my first year in the program, uh, he handed out a syllabus. You know, they hand you that big, big syllabus. They tell you what the breakdown is, 15% for attendance, yada, yada, and they give you the whole curriculum for the semester. This was two lines, two bullet points on this professor's uh, syllabus. It was, number one, get the facts. Number two, report the truth. That was his syllabus. That was his entire syllabus. He says there's so much that gets lost today. He completely agrees with what you were talking about, Eric, that Fox News is reporting this and CNN's reporting this. There's no concept of the truth. It's we have to placate our audience. What do they want to hear? And that was his big driving force was get to the truth. You know, what are the facts and report them? I don't know who's out there that does that anymore. Everyone has an agenda. You know, there's a couple out there that are a little bit more moderate, but I personally, I have no idea where to go. I feel like I have to read both and just kind of try to put it together myself. But anyway, Stick, where do you stand on this? I mean, has the media been fair to Donald Trump? I mean, obviously, the media, that's a big catch-all. But the general mainstream, collectively, have they been particularly hard on Donald Trump in your mind? In my mind, yeah. Yeah, I think so. And that's where you get a lot of pushback from him. Like I said earlier, he's the type of guy that he's not just going to stand there and take you hurling tomatoes at him. I will say this, Eric is right there on both sides, but I'd say it's more 70-30. You know, there's more channels dedicated to hating Donald Trump than there is to supporting Donald Trump at this point. But I think the big difference that we all can recognize in this room 
is the difference between media and press. Press reports the facts. Press finds out stuff. Media is whatever we want it to be. Social mm-hmm. media, you know, like, and these guys are just, to keep their jobs, they need clicks. To keep those clicks up, they got to have enticing things. Jim Acosta, the more he interacts and has arguments with the president, the better it is for his click rate, the better it is for his career. So he may not be pursuing the facts. He may just be pursuing his agenda to make sure that he's more in the spotlight than the actual news story. Let's take out personal ideology entirely. So leave it at the door. I'm going to throw this to both of you. So, you know, just think about it. Let's say you are hired as a consultant for the Democrats to get whomever is running against Donald Trump elected in 2020. You're hired. You don't care. It doesn't matter if you like their views, whatever. You have to formulate a strategy. You have to build the platform. You have to have an approach that's going to defeat Donald Trump. Not that you think is morally righteous, not that you think it'd be good for the country. Just your only job and your only concern is to win, to beat him. How do you beat Donald Trump in 2020? Stick, you, you start here. Um, for me, the immediate strategy is you know he overreacts, so you poke the bear and let him keep overreacting. That, that's one thing I would do to defeat Donald Trump. Um, another thing I would do is not what the Democrats have been doing for the past three years and just pointing out that they're not Donald Trump. That isn't enough. And that's what they ran on to compete against him. I'm not him. I'm not Donald Trump. And that's not enough. You have to actually stand for something. One of the Democratic candidates that I actually really like is Cory Booker. His speech at the Democratic National Convention two years ago was by far the best speech that I've heard in my lifetime at the Democratic National Convention. Kind of circling back to the first question you asked about how we can resolve all this. I guess the pure answer without the tragedy is get some great leaders on both sides, like great men, respectable men and women. When I say men, I mean mankind, mm-hmm. but, but respectable people. Because Hillary, I said this to my wife, you didn't want that being the first female president. Like You want that to be a substantial, proud woman that everybody can look around and be like, that was our first female president. You didn't want that to be Hillary. Like, ugh, no, she, she had way too much dirt. She didn't stand for anything. You know, she... Her own party didn't like her. I mean, the voter turnout was reflective of that. She had to steal the Democratic Party from Bernie. That came out that they actually stole the election from Bernie, and the Democrats are just like, yeah, well. Well, Your your position is to defeat Donald Trump, that you need to poke the bear and kind of go after him a little bit. Yep, and you need to be the good guy. You need to be the righteous guy. Okay, well, that's interesting. I, I, I was sort of in your camp just as a neutral observer. I didn't vote top of the ticket for the record in 2016. I didn't think either met my qualifications to be president. So I went, I voted, I omitted the top of the ticket. Couldn't vote for either of them, just for the record. But I agreed with you going in and throughout the primary process for the Republicans when Donald Trump was just slaying everybody. And then we got to Detroit. They're at the Fox Theater and Marco Rubio gets into that spat with them and basically calls him a liar and they're going back and forth and Donald Trump starts talking about his penis size. (laughs) And it was really probably the low point of the primary phase. So I think we saw where Marco Rubio was the smiling, you know, little friendly neighbor guy for six months. And then he finally said, look, I'm losing in the polls. I got to punch back. And that was the end of him. I mean, he was already kind of bobbing and and staying barely afloat. When he did kind of exactly what you seem to be advocating, he went down entirely. So that's, I think, the challenge, though. And I'll give you a chance to respond. But I feel like if you're meek and kind of, you know, uh, oh, shucks, like, 
Kasich was, he just got blasted. No, and then when you see, go after him, like that. Jeb, Ted Cruz, they tanked. So what's the answer? See, I thought Kasich won the Detroit debate. I thought he was fantastic. Well, in you're it because, the one because his polling was went down after that. No, he started to do really well in Ohio, and he started to do better in Michigan because oh. when Trump was going at Rubio, he destroyed Rubio. Rubio isn't in that league. He doesn't know how to play that game. Kasich had 0% chance of winning the nomination at that I, phase, though. I mean, yeah, it, I get that. But to me, he won points because Trump came at him, and he was just like, you know what? I'm here to debate. I'm not here for that. And like the crowd went nuts. If yeah. you remember that moment. Oh, I agree. Yeah. And, I, I think Casey handled it well. But it and didn't. that's how you got to be. You got to poke the bear, let him explode, and then step back. Okay, but Kasich didn't finish in the top four. I mean, well, <laughs> so it, who was? Know, I mean, th- that was a but mess. But that's the point. I don't know. There, it's not a trick question. I'll throw it to Eric. I don't know if there is an answer. I don't know how you beat this guy. From what we've seen from our past two presidents, from Trump and Barack Obama, we've seen two of the most unique presidents we've seen in American history. I feel like we're going to follow that same trend in 2020. I can see Maxine Waters being his next oh, no. uh, oh, opponent. And I'd be right there for you, Maxine. <laughs> oh, why? Don't listen to none of these motherfuckers right here. I got your back. I really think that's where we're coming in politics now. It's not the same typical like elections and like campaign structure we're seeing anymore. Like People are now running based on how to hype up their base and how to be more entertaining and charismatic instead of being a true leader. And, I mean, I believe we had some real sincere leadership in Obama. I don't believe we see that in Trump right now. But I feel like that's where we're going, and I think that's what it would have to take for Trump to be defeated because, honestly, I see him winning again. I don't see him losing again at the rate he's going. I feel like he can do no wrong. I feel like his base grows, unfortunately, and I don't know what his tipping point would have to be. Eric, real quick, are you on board with this Maxine Waters? You you go harass Republicans in public places and at the gas station and at restaurants and stuff. Because I mean, she's, she's advocated for that. If she's going against Trump, one hundred percent. Like this is this. We're talking about her doing that as an offensive thing, but we've also seen Trump allow Black Lives Matter protesters be beat up at his no, rallies. That, that's we've bad seen, too. He we've never seen allowed him, it. He one hundred percent allowed it. He said, "Oh, we beat the crap out of him back in our day." He encouraged it. One hundred percent. Allowed might be actually too nice of a term. One hundred percent. Like he's. And I'm not. I'm not like a. It. You know. And, and that's what he from him. controls he's, other people's actions. But you want nah, you want, you want nah, Republican man. like senators out to dinner with their kids and stuff like getting harassed in restaurants though like because that's what Maxine. Well, don't forget Advocate. Hillary's calling for violence and that, too. I mean, that's, that's just the whole there. Democratic stance now. I, that stuff well, is then where what's just... Trump's stance then? Because if we see him, we've seen him not only be okay with violence during his rallies, we've seen him advocate for teachers having guns and just ridiculous things that are threatening to fight Joe Biden. Like, I've seen his son on TV talk about how people are bullying his dad and bullying Trump and not giving him a fair shake when his whole candidacy was built on being an asshole. So now when the media or his naysayers have something to say or look at something he's doing negative and call him out on it or have an issue with how he conducts himself when he's supposed to be a presidential leader and they have an issue... Like, how does that correlate? Like, I don't get it. This, See, this is something you've brought up several times is you hold this president status as a, a way someone is supposed to act. And this is what drives people nuts because I have another friend that's just like you, and she's like, that's not presidential. That's not presidential. Donald Trump didn't win because people wanted him to be presidential. Obviously, because they wanted him to that. fix the mess that Obama left behind and get everything back on track. I wish and you were is, is that happening right now? Because I don't see it. I don't see rates at an all-time low, stock markets at an all-time high, and apparently what we've seen a more divided America since what you said the Civil but that's War what was he inherited. He didn't create. 
No, he's 100 percent. Obama said, had a you chance think, so you, to unite this country, and, and he you think, didn't do it. So you think Trump is uniting right now because the only people he advocates for are from middle America or Republicans. That's not true. People like Candace Owens and the Blexit, those people he's trying to unite, the people that are actually listening to him and listening to his message. If you listen to his speech, the inaugural night, he talked about togetherness and we got to do this together now and no more tit for tat. And you didn't get that out of Obama. Obama was more about the separation. He was more about taking rioters' side. He was more about not supporting police. He was more about color barriers and having specific color nights at the White House. If Trump said, I'm having an only white night at the White House, oh, my God, the world would explode. Well, see, I think that's what we're confusing now is the context of that matters. Like, Obama has never spoken out to be anti-police. When you have African-Americans or leaders speak out on these things, it's anti-police brutality. And people, for whatever reason, don't listen to that, especially in the Colin Kaepernick conversation. Salute, Colin. I believe, like, (laughs) the whole— Salute him for what? Being a privileged person raised by white people taking a knee for something he has nothing to do with? Oh, can we get into that now? We well, can get into that now. Let's go. So, all right. Yeah, I, I say go for it. Yeah, yeah. We were, so, we were coming th- down I'm this throwing out, throwing so, out the script. Okay, so Colin, as you described, is he privileged, biracial? How, what else did you call him? I want to make sure I get that correct. He was raised by white people. You know that, sure. right? Sure. Yeah, 100%. And I mean that. the whole reason he's behind this agenda is because his girlfriend, Nessa, has been shoving this, and he started this to appease her. Mm. Okay. Don't so, get me started on Nessa. So she's a terrible DJ. She, she, she is a terrible she DJ. She is a terrible DJ. She and was. she's a terrible girlfriend, and she destroyed her boyfriend's life. <laughs> I don't know that Lies. Nike, that no, Nike I'll, money looks pretty good. I want to, I want to jump, I want to jump in here for a second and Please. say this because you know, regardless of who raised Colin Kaepernick, as a white male, when I get pulled over, my biggest fear is that I'm going to get a speeding ticket. Is that true for you, Eric? Hell no. We sit up here. If, if anyone hasn't seen the hate you give, you should. It opens up with the talk. All black families have it, where your parents sit you down and talk about how the police treat you because your worry is a speeding ticket. I've seen white people yell at police officers, cuss at police officers, and there's no repercussion. Mm-hmm. We've now seen black people, and it goes back to the movie, we fear for our lives getting pulled over by the police. It's not the same. We are not treated the same. We are not held, held to the same accountability and standards and everything, and it's not fair. And that is being brought to the light thanks to Colin Kaepernick. But going back to exactly what thanks you said. Colin Kaepernick. Bring, yes, exactly to what you said. We don't have a lot of leadership in the African-American community, I feel like. And I think he was, especially when it comes to sports, we all sports fans here. He was a big voice over the past few years in issues like these. So speaking about Colin Kaepernick, you said he's privileged, raised by white parents, this, that, and the third. So, so you're pretty much saying he wouldn't know what it's like to be in those shoes. That's the kind of guy we need. Black people have been fighting for equality for centuries, my guy. So if you have somebody like Colin Kaepernick who is black but still comes from a white family who you say may not understand what it's like to be in a black person's shoes or go through those kind of situations, those are the people we're trying to include in those conversations. Martin Luther King's message didn't magnify across America until white people bought in and said, you know what, they really are going through some shit that we should start looking into. I think that is what's missing in America right now. Black people have been fighting in the disenfranchised, whether it's Jews or black people or minorities, whatever it is in general. They've been trying to fight for this for so long, and instead of others helping in or trying to understand why we feel the way we feel, we have, as you said, it's not a big deal. Or, hey, it can't be that bad. Or it's not as bad as it what used to be. What was Colin Kaepernick's or, objective? To bring awareness to police brutality. And, and did, un- he, did he do that? 100%. Yeah, he did. 100%. Okay. So now what? That's up to the powers that be. But that's, that's the not point. up like, to him. 
That's what, not up what, to him. What, That's, what, he's not a politician. He doesn't make policies. He doesn't sit in and make these agendas. His job was to bring awareness, even when people were shitting on him and not listening, saying, stand up for the flag, respect our country. It's not about that. Listen to what he's trying to bring attention to. Watch the videos of Eric Garner. Watch Tamir Rice get gunned out. Watch Philando Castile get shot in a car with his daughter and his wife in the same vehicle. That happened in front of them. They'll never be the same again watching that. And those issues have been happening for decades. So when people say that, oh, America's as bad as it's been, America's has been bad, bro. And these same issues that we're talking about that Colin Kaepernick is bringing up have been issues for a long, long time. But to me, we got two on our Facebook post. It's like, what's the solution? Great. Colin Kaepernick brought all this attention, but now what? Like, now what? I mean, that's where I lose him. I believe that should start with your president. I believe instead of your him, president too. he's not my president. I'll never claim a bigot. I don't claim those who <laughs> fight, who empower racism and stand and portray themselves as a bigot. I don't have to claim him as my president. And I but won't. he is, whether you claim him or not. Not at all. I don't have to claim that. You, he's a, he's the, pres- he's the president of the United States. I don't have to claim him as my president. You're a president, so he's your president. Not at all. So... You um, rhymed that. So That's it impressive. has to start with him because what what do you hear when he talks about Colin Kaepernick? The few times he talked about Colin Kaepernick, he said, "Fire him, get those sons of bitches off the field. They're fired, or stand up for the flag." Nothing he said about what Colin Kaepernick's mission is is related to what Trump is talking about. All he does is what Jag, like you said feed his base. That's all he talks about. Oh, they're not American. But that's exactly what Kaepernick's doing. He found his niche and he's feeding his base. You know his base is? Black people who feel like they're not being treated fairly in America. That's the people who need a voice and that's why he's so important. But that's been what's lost in his, to me, the Colin Kaepernick thing is just so washed out that it's not even valid. Like, so what do you mean by Explain what you mean by washed out, Stick. It lost its message. Because who, though? Not because of him. Eric, you say, uh, I'll jump in because I'm going to throw it. I'm not making a point. I'm throwing it to you. I'm asking you the question. Okay. I don't even disagree with you. You're saying that it starts with your president, meaning Donald Trump. It starts with Donald Trump. Donald Trump needs to do something. I don't disagree, but what's the intervention? What do you want him to do if you were his advisor and you actually you were the one person on earth he actually listens to, which would be an <laughs> interesting concept because he doesn't. Hold, but what do you what do you want him to do? Hold, or maybe not even specifically. Him. Maybe not even him. Maybe we can take specific cases. Like we just saw a man in Rochester. He's now sentenced to, I believe, four years in prison because he shot at a black kid who was lost. Asking for directions. Asking yeah. for that, directions. That was, in uh, this city, we're that, was about a, that was about a mile from this studio, Rochester's, by the way. What's Rochester that like, was a guys? Mile, that was a 1.2 miles away from where we're sitting right now. Right, but and this isn't in, like, Mississippi. This is in Rochester, Michigan. This is a suburban city where a guy felt... He couldn't answer or have a conversation with a black kid for two seconds so he can find himself a and, he so, to, and then he went to prison, right? Right, he's he going went to, to prison. prison. Right. But here's, so but the here's system my point. Worked, right? right, right. And here's my point. That's exactly my point. If he got off because we've seen police officers murder innocent, unarmed black men and get off, get put on paid leave, pretty much not being held accountable, that's what systemic racism is all about. You're not just racist for saying nigger. You're not just racist for looking at black people as less than you. It's a level and a domino effect. So in a police kill somebody gets away with it because the government doesn't hold them responsible you have other officers who don't hold them accountable say hey i'm a good cop i would never have betrayed myself like this they hide behind the blue bat i'm not sorry not all day i know what good policing looks like salute to my father my I was uncle gonna say, isn't your dad 100 i know what good policing looks like salute to everybody who does their job in the appropriate fashion but to those who don't need to be held accountable and they don't from whether it's the law or the officers they stand next to that's the issue well, and that's where it re- more realistically can start from besides trump that's fair i would hope that that's not a controversial take in this room i mean that 
any it's wrongful been, shooting. Unfortunately, of- in America, dog, you look yeah. on Twitter and you see these videos, and people's responses just comply, just comply. You see people literally stopped in a routine traffic stop and they get murdered five minutes later. Take it like this, for example. Let's put it in your shoes. I've had a friend who went to college, went to Central. I'm not going to put his name out there. But he got in trouble for being a minor with alcohol. He got an MIP. He was at a party and the cops showed up. Everybody runs. Everybody runs away from the cops. Now, let's say, for example, the kid isn't arrested and charged and the due process that happens, happens. Let's say he's murdered. He was doing something wrong. He was doing something he had no business doing. But did it have to go to the degree of murder to get that point across? It's the same thing with African-Americans. People say it all the time. Oh, because you see in the media say, oh, he had weed in his car. or He was doing this. For Philando Castillo, they say he had PCP or some dumb shit like that. That had nothing to do with the police officer not doing his job appropriately. My father said there's at least five steps you take before you pull your gun out and use it in execution style. In these situations now, we're seeing protocol being lost, and it's excused by public America, whether it's on social media, telling, oh, just comply, just do what they say. Even when they do what they say, we saw another kid who literally was sitting on the ground with his hands in the air, and the police said, put your hands out, and he got tased for doing exactly what he said. This is in Brooklyn, if I'm not mistaken. Just comply, and all these simplistic responses we're hearing, we're doing, and people still aren't paying attention to the end result. I want to move in a little bit of a different direction. I think one of the most concerning things for me in 2018 is this destroy culture, uh, particularly on social media, where Mm -hmm. there is an angry internet mob. Both sides do this. I don't think this is really a right-left issue. No, not at all. This is like Mm -hmm. a we-both-do-this crap, where the stupid joke that the girl that was flying to, was it Africa or whatever, and she said, like, I hope I don't get AIDS. Just kidding. I'm... I'm white or whatever that that stupid line was. Yeah, I, I don't think I saw that. that but no. You guys didn't Shit. see that. You're the only one in this room that saw that. <laughs> oh, it was, a, it was a big thing, like five five years ago. And oh, I, I believe it happened. Yeah, me. I yeah. She, I believe someone's stupid enough to do that. 100%. She tweeted. She tweeted a joke about it. It was a a stupid joke. It was dumb. She deserved criticism for it. But there was like a year long effort to destroy this lady. I mean, she lost her job. People were threatening her family, threatening her, obviously sort of a, a mass effort to just destroy this girl over, over a joke. Uh, she had multiple friends that came out and said, like, look, I mean, this is like the least racist person on earth. She made a stupid joke. It, no one's defending the joke. But there's this effort to destroy. And that's what's most concerning for me. Like, accountability is a good thing. I don't think you should be able to say stupid stuff and have no repercussions whatsoever. But are you concerned? We'll start with you, Eric, on this one. Are you concerned that we've gone to a point where – we're just too big of a dick to each other. I mean, for lack of a, a, a more formal term. The right formal at, term would be penis. Thank you. No, no, I, this is... This, thank you, Jack. Richard. This, there is, <laughs> I, I, I mean, because I'm pretty active on Twitter myself, Eric. I, I'll mm-hmm. tell you, I, I've had people message me or tweet at me over stuff that I don't even think is controversial jokes. Oh, Twitter's the worst. It, it's it. just people are like, oh, what if your employer knew you said that? I don't like, like you, man. I've seen it. I got my real name on there. And you and I had an interesting, and I don't want to get too big into hogging the mic here, but mm-hmm. Eric, you and I had an interesting occurrence when you first came on as my producer for this show mm-hmm. where uh, my former website, there were guys that were uh, tweeting you from there. I left um, sort of on poor terms at best, I would say. Mm-hmm. And they were tweeting at you saying, hey, uh, do you know that Spiro doesn't buy any of this black cop stuff and that the cops go, I mean, it was just all bullshit. And mm-hmm. I ended up posting the exact conversation that they were referring to 
this specific conversation was in reference to uh, Bill Simonson, a host in Grand Rapids that had made a racist comment years ago, ended up getting fired for it, mm-hmm. I believe, and called. It was, uh, I believe, a black coach, Buckwheat, a uh, reference to the Little Rascals character. And it was pretty clearly like racist comment. And I had said in that conversation back years ago that I don't know if it's racist to say a black person looks like Buckwheat any more than it would be racist for someone to say, I look like Jason Biggs from American Pie. Like, unless you're saying it's I can because. See it. Well, I I threw that out because I've heard that before, actually. I don't see it at all. But the point is, I had said on the website years ago, I don't think it's racist to say, hey, this black person looks like this black person. You're not, like, saying, oh, this dumb black person. Intent is everything. Right. And there was no intent there. And someone in that conversation had said, look, that's not what he said. What he said was, oh, you know, you got buckwheat over here. And I said, oh, well, if that's the case, and that's clearly racist. In that conversation, there's a screenshot of it. When Eric came on as my producer, obviously, if you haven't caught on by now, I'm white and Eric's black. (laughs) 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 As if I don't Just in case y'all need to know. Should we we race? I'm the only black guy in here, so let's let's start with that. (laughs) Just to clarify. And I I really wasn't intending to personalize this going into it, but it, it just clicked with me when I was talking, looking at Eric here across from me, is that, that there was a specific <laughs> movement. Eric came to, to work with me in studio here uh, for a few months, and when people caught wind of that, people who didn't like me, there was a, an organized effort by multiple people to publicly say, I'm a racist, I said all this stuff, and thank God I kept receipts and I had the conversation. <laughs> so, And I tweeted, and you could still look up. You texted it to me. Yeah, and you and I, t- me I said, look, dude. What these guys are saying is wrong. Here's exactly what they're referring to. Here's the conversation. It's stamped from like two years ago or whenever it was. I didn't say that. I said I didn't think it was racist to say this person looks like another person of the same race. It, to me, it's like, again, if someone said Will Smith looks like this black neighbor of mine, I wouldn't be like, oh, there's some racial undertones here. It's like you, they're both black dudes. I mean, so, to, it's just, so to go back to your question about pretty much like social media shaming, are we pretty much saying, right? Yeah. I mean, what, okay. where do, you, do you not so, see this as a major problem? People need to chill out. I mean, it's... No, I don't think so at all. But what I would ask you, in terms of the story that you gave about old girl popping off and saying what she said, I want to see her response. Because what you just said, intent means everything. And there's also a difference between being racist and being ignorant. A good portion of this country is just ignorant. They might do some dumb shit, but then they now become racist with their response. Let's take, for example, we just had Halloween. And what's white people's favorite time to be controversial with Halloween? Blackface. Stop doing it, white people. Fucking stop doing it. And this is the point. People respond to it like people like we've seen plenty of teachers who, you know, put stuff on social media and they get fired or you see people on social media clowning them going crazy about it. And I think they deserve all that smoke. They deserve that because we've been explaining blackface since slavery. It's not cool. We don't fuck with it. It was created to demean and insult and put down an entire race of people. It's offensive. Stop doing it. If you can't go through Halloween without painting your skin brown or black, you Halloween ain't for you then. It's that simple. <laughs> it's you can do whatever you want. Too. It's just People too, keep making that mistake every it, year. It makes no sense. <laughs> but but my point is when people get in trouble or you see the people who respond and support them, oh, well, I don't understand. She wasn't being racist about it. No, it's ignorant because we've explained why it's offensive. Oh, well, white chicks happen. Isn't that offensive and racist too? 
No, that's a comedy that was not made to insult and put down white people. There's no lifelong. Well, it's not meant to insult. I, 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 it's not meant to insult like Barack Obama. And to try to, I'll agree with you that it's not as offensive as blackface because that is a legit thing. But it is offensive to white people. No, it's, <laughs> how? How? Oh no! Let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. When you watched, were you offended by the betrayal, or were you offended because when blackface comes up, it's your first line of defense? No, I don't care. If, I don't. Like I said, I admit I don't. I don't mess around with blackface. Okay. I think that's the most ignorant thing that you can do. Word. But it's also, I think, kind of ignorant to not acknowledge that black people dressing up as white people and acting like Becky from The Curb is mocking a culture, mocking a specific race, in itself is racist. Is racial? I don't think it's racist because when we saw... Believe me, I wasn't offended. I'm right, just right, saying right. that... I'm not even like, saying you personally. Right. I'm just saying white people in general. But from what we've seen... When blackface was started, it was literally mean as an insulting way of an African-American man. Literally to put him down and to make them feel like shit and less than human and less than white people. I mean, old minstrel shows, and it was used to mock. Yes. Yeah. And so for white chicks, is just a fucking movie where we're simply poking fun at another race. You see that on stand-up comedy all the time. What Chris Rock did, crack-ass cracker, only Chris Rock can do. Only comedians, only black comedians can do that. White comedians can't do that. And honestly, that's not our fault. Black masters <laughs> ancestors for that. We can say black power. Y'all can't say white power. It's not our fault. It's because of the standard that's been set over the centuries of America. Like, that's the problem. So in issues like this, I think people need to separate and understand racist and ignorance. Because if you become too ignorant, you then become racist. And we see that when people excuse blackface and excuse and push their own ridiculous narrative to excuse the bullshit that comes on in this country so constantly. I think there's something, and again, I hate to editorialize because I'm supposed to be the neutral observer, but I think there is a danger in this concept of I'm proud to be black, I'm proud to be white, I'm proud to be whatever, where this sort of uh, identity politics, I think it's dangerous. You know, you said if people have an issue with this, you know, this blackface, whiteface issue, which is probably the worst example I could think of to make this point, because I actually agree with you completely on this, Eric, for the record. But if people want to get into this game where if you don't like the state of racial affairs, blame your ancestors. Look, white people in this country did some terrible shit for a long time. I got to tell you, though, I have no concept of guilt because I had nothing to do with it. I think it's disgusting what they did. I don't think anyone should be ashamed because, oh, I'm white. And uh, 200 years ago, a white person did something. What's the difference between 200 years ago and, and 2,000 years ago? At, at some point, you either had something to do with it or you didn't. And that goes whether you're white, black, brown, blue, whatever. Go ahead. But what you're saying, and I want you to hop on it because I've been talking for a minute. I want to chill for a second. But <laughs> I feel like traces of those years ago that you're talking about are still alive today. My thing is this. In America, there's nothing wrong with seeing color. It's all about how you treat it. If you don't see me as a black person, you don't fucking see me. If I don't see Jag as a Jewish person, I'm not looking at him and understanding who he is. This whole, oh, I don't see color. There's nothing wrong with seeing color in America. It's all about how you treat and like what kind of standards you hold each other to. Going back to American history, it's hard to not move past the bits of yesterday when shit like the Confederate flag still flies, my guy. Like, Nazis are still allowed to be a thing. KKK ain't had a hit since the 60s, but they're still here. It's hard to let that go from back then when we still see so much excusing of the past and so many more reflections of the past. That shit has to stop at some point. I don't think the KKK is a 
existential problem for the country. I mean, I'm not defending the KKK. I just don't. The KKK, until you just mentioned them, I haven't heard the KKK mentioned since uh, Charlottesville. 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 That wasn't long ago, though. That was a year ago. It was long ago, but I'm saying if they were this boogeyman that they're purported to be, I think I would hear about them more than once every 18 months. I think the ones that are out there, though, are feeling more emboldened in the last year or two. 100%. There's an argument for that. And and those people are scumbags, and I hope they die. Stick is dying to jump in here. He's (laughs) dying to go I mean, I got a lot of stuff to say. Let's go. You you got like the four for about eight minutes. No, it's fine. This whole conversation, just this immediate one, reminds me of a comedian. He was saying that, you know, everybody thinks all these racists came out of the woodwork for Donald Trump. All these racists just came out and voted for Donald Trump. Where were these races for two terms when a black guy was running for president? So they were just okay letting a black guy in office? No, they were no, getting they angry. Were hanging, uh, they had like a noose costume in Wisconsin. So you don't think they were game, voting but... for the Republican candidate? That's why I don't think that Donald Trump like made all these races. No, and, no, 100%. And they didn't just come out of the woodwork like... to vote for him. Like, if they were truly hardcore racists, they would have been like, I'd never want to see a black guy in office. And they, they would have voted that? against him. I guarantee you they were saying that. They just weren't as vocal as then they the... are now because they have a figurehead to put on top of it. Yeah, I don't see it that way. I know you do, but I don't, I don't see it that I don't way. see how you can, man. Who do you think they're voting for? Like, they're supporting him 100,000% from what they see from him. Like, these people aren't... Like you said, they've always been around. You really don't believe the racist voice in America has become louder since Donald Trump has been in office? No. I don't. I, I don't think it's swung the election. No, you, the but. first thing you said is, we've been doing this for centuries, dog. It's no, been the racism, same. And now yes. you're going to say that uh, all of a sudden racism hopped off when Donald Trump came? No, you're wrong, man. You're arguing two sides of the coin. We've either been like this forever or Donald Trump created this. No, I'm Which sim- one is it? I'm simply saying the voice of that side is as loud as it's ever been from what I've seen in this country. I wasn't there during the 60s. I wasn't there during, you know, any and other decades. And that's my argument. But... Like, wouldn't you think that voice would have been very upset when a black guy was in charge of the whole country for eight years? They were. They are sitting there demanding he put out his birth certificate for eight years. Like, he wasn't a real American. Like, clearly from Kinda this like country. like denying who your president is? That's completely different, my guy. Like <laughs> I'm sitting here saying, no, because he. I'm sitting. I'm not sitting up here saying he didn't win. He is the president of the United States. But do I have to claim him and support him and like all this other shit when I go around? No, I don't claim racist. I don't claim people who influence hate, empower race. What has uh, he done that's racist? What has he done that's racist? Yes. Let's he see. said there are good people on both sides in Charlottesville. Okay, let me dissect that for okay. you because my father, who is was a Republican, and. He is a history buff. Sure. My dad loves history, loves Civil War, loves Southern history. Not a racist guy. Eric knows my dad. Love my dad. Love your dad. Great yeah, guy. Yeah, great guy. And he was against taking down those statues. Mm-hmm. Startly against taking down those statues because it's destroying history, which is something we can learn from, not something we have to run from. So to me, when I heard Donald Trump say that, to me, he's referring to people like my dad. He's not referring to the racist idiots that did show up, because I'm not going to deny that there were racist idiots that did show up. There are racist idiots that live in this country and are here every day. I understand that. But at the same time, there are people who do respect history. There are people who do care about how we got here and want to learn from it, not just bury it so we repeat it. Respectfully, Stick, I think you're making a false equivalency here, and here's why. Because you're talking about people who support Confederate monuments and flags. I lived in New Orleans for three years. I watched this fight play out on the news every night. I understand the side of it of wanting to preserve history. I understand that, and I respect that. So are you saying all those people are bad people? No, but what I'm saying— So you're saying there are some good people. 
Yes, there are some people. That's you know, what Trump who, said. There's there no no because he <laughs> was asked specifically about Charlottesville. He said there were some good people there. Were there people there? Uh, there were people there chanting that Jews will not take our jobs and everything about Jews, blacks, this, that, and the other thing. There were people but, there. But you're were there, he's what, saying they're the good people. What I'm, what I'm saying is he's saying there are good people on both sides. Are you, you're, you're arguing that there are people in Charlottesville who are marching to protect the Confederacy that were – I'm sorry. I'm sorry can, preserve the monument. The, the monument. I'm, I, I misspoke. Okay. Yeah. I'll give you that. But – you're Confederacy's saying, dead. Like, y'all lost. <laughs> I can't tell. There's still the flag oh, you is all can't over. tell. Shut the hell Even up. Even in Michigan, bro, the I was just up in northern... What? Wait, no, wait, wait. You no. couldn't tell the difference between pre-Civil War America and where we're at today? Is that you're flag still no flying different? around? What? Is racism still alive? What's going are we on sitting here having this conversation? We are, but okay, is racism... that's progress, well, man. we just talked about... For you to deny that there has been any progress and to deny that we are the exact same thing before the Civil War is absolute ignorance you and just absolute said disgrace to the people who lost their lives fighting for you to sit here and have this freedom. But you're me. sitting here and we saying we should learn from history. What's taking so long? That shit happened centuries ago. What is taking so long to learn from the Civil War racist era and the depictions and the faces that represent... We have the, learned, my dude. We've, we, we have. have we have. Where is that president? No, that's not the point. See, that's the problem that white people make. You take one person. That's like saying Colin Kaepernick made all this money. Why is he so worried about what the common everyday man is doing? Oh, we have... No, no, no. Hold, no. We have, hold on, hold on. For we, you to hold deny on, progress on, is just hold crazy, on. Man. I'm not doing that. Just hold on a second. Crazy. Hold on with me. I'm not doing that. You are. I'm sitting, no, I'm not. I'm sitting here telling you that because Barack Obama was a president, yes, that that was a positive step in the country of America, but we still have a long way to go. And no one's denying still, that. That's the point, but though. But you just said we're the same it. situation we've been in since the Civil War. That is just pure ignorance. I'm saying we've seen the same. We've seen similar patterns of racism from the Civil War. If you're seeing this, a Confederate flag that we look at as much as Jews can't stand to see a swastika in front of them, that's the equivalent to black people. That's how we see it when we see it. If that shit is still having a conversation being flown, or the KKK still being allowed to protest when Black Lives Matter, people really have sit up here and put Black Lives Matter protests in the same conversation as the KKK, and it makes no fucking sense to try to uh. equip. Those makes you no can, sense. Though. You, you can. can't. You cannot. You, can, you cannot take a group that's been flying for centuries in America that was allowed to hang black bodies by trees for no. Just because, dog. Where the I'm law, not where the police sides. were See, allowed, you don't and understand. firefighters were allowed to spray black people in the street with hoses. That Black Lives Matter protesters have nothing to do with that. The most violent thing that they've done was loot and riot in a city. Because of police brutality and because of the injustice we've been fought, black people have been put down so long in this country. We, me, you, Black have... Lives Matter weren't beating the crap out of white people just because they were white. I've never seen that, dude. We can I've look never it up seen right that. Now, no, you can man. look that up. I've never seen that. I've seen Black Lives Matter protesters, and I know what they represent. I know what the KKK what do they represents represent? as well. They don't even know what they represent. Black Lives Matter doesn't even have a leader to, to what be they fair, represent. There, are, there I, I, are videos in California of Black Lives Matter people assaulting white people just yeah, for walking through the just the for town walking square. through. So that that has happened. I'm curious, Eric. Did you have an issue because we're talking about Donald Trump's lack of condemnation in Ferguson or, or in uh, Charlottesville? Mm -hmm. I want to talk about Ferguson. Ferguson which was in 2014 when Barack Obama obviously was still in office. The right criticized Barack Obama pretty significantly for not condemning the riots that you're talking about and, and looting and burning buildings and breaking windows. And that was a pretty urban area. Uh, one of the big points on the right was, look, there's a lot of these black-owned businesses. One of them, I think, was actually a Little Caesars, which is obviously a Michigan company. There was a, a black owner of a Little Caesars franchise in Ferguson that was burned down. 
people on the right criticized Barack Obama for not condemning that. Do you think that was a fair criticism of him back in 2014? Do you think Obama should have come out against those rioters and looters? 100%, but I don't think it's fair to then, okay, so you have people who support the movement of Black Lives Matter that were behaving as assholes and doing things they ain't got no business doing, putting their hands on people, being violent, assault, that's not cool, I don't respect that. And there's no need to do that in promoting the message that we're trying to promote. I feel like while there may not be a figurehead or a leading face on the Black Lives Matter movement, we know what the message is that we're trying to get across. And the point is, to me, to kill an issue is to start at the root of it. Like when you pull weeds, you pull it from the bottom. And when you look at why Black Lives Matter is existing in the first place is because of what we're talking about. It's because of the inequality in America, police brutality, the law not being held responsible for the shit that they do to minorities in America. It's the same thing. And so now to try to put those people in the same breath as white supremacists or Klansmen who were allowed to hang and murder people without being held accountable, for all we know, the Black Lives Matter people could have been arrested. Well, I've seen that happen. If I'm not mistaken, at the Charlottesville rally, a black kid got arrested for defending himself and fighting against Nazis. That should not be a law. If you see a Nazi, somebody with a swastika, that's open smoke on them all season. I don't <laughs> believe you should be protecting them in any way, shape, or form. But for whatever reason, they are excused. Do you think you could just walk up to somebody because you don't agree with them? Believe me, I don't agree with Nazis. If or you're anything. a Nazi, if you're, yes. If you're an idiot yes. and wear a swastika, I yes. think you're an idiot and wear a swastika. Yes. I shake my head and walk by. That's you. That's you. I can't tell other people. You can't tell other people how to feel when they see imagery I like get that. that. But you can't say you have a right to assault someone. I didn't because say you have a right. You I didn't say no. I said no. 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 However. No. 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 Right. But of course there will be repercussions that comes with yeah, it. Of I course get... you're gonna go to jail. But am I gonna sit here and be upset for someone? If George Zimmerman gets capped right now, you think I'm gonna cry or say, "Oh man, we should have handled that better." He needs to go. I have no problem with that. <laughs> Nazis. George Zimmerman. <laughs> put them all in a group. If they all. Get Get popped off that's something i don't care yes there will be repercussions but those people are what makes it hard for people like you in this country who see the bigger picture who are equal opportunists and understand the plight of trying to unite this country right. those motherfuckers don't they don't care about black people and minorities so how they get treated or what gets happened to them is i don't care but my point is you can't lump black lives matter into that because of why we're fighting in the first place see to me i just look at like you're never going to touch the extremes we're never going to get nazis to be cool we're never going to get extreme black lives matter people to be cool and like want to meet in the middle and want to have this conversation because I agree with that. they hate so to me i ignore the fr the way outside because they're untouchable they're untouchable. I, They're always going to be ignorant. I lost uh, a couple, not close friends, but uh, strong acquaintances, I'll, I'll say, over the punching a Nazi argument. I had said in this discussion on Facebook, of course, where <laughs> all good things happen, I had said in the aftermath of that that while I despise any Nazi and I, I don't cry for them, I don't weep for them, I didn't feel bad for the Nazis that had rocks thrown at them. No, 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 um, neither. no. no one's sobbing for them. Not at no. all. I did express concern over the precedent that is set that if we say that it's okay, that, you know, good, bravo, as much as I hate them, there's a certain cathartic uh, joy out of seeing a Nazi get punched it's in the face. It's a slippery slope. Exactly. Like and that, that was my concern. Yeah. 
because if you're just identifying with right because then you get into well he just disagrees with me you're a nazi i hate you boom and we're there by the way we people get called nazis all the time that have no association with the nazi party or national right so uh, that's more my concern with it is just the embodiment to feel that I see something on you that I don't like. I'm just going to walk up to you and insult no, see, you. And that's what I disagree with because I think you're focusing I'm, – I'm focusing on strictly on Nazis. You're focusing on what makes a Nazi or what makes a difference between people. If you have somebody who believes a race of people is lower than you, we don't need you in this country. If you 100%. Ask, but if you ask anybody in Antifa who a Nazi is, they'll just point to any white male that is part of the patriarchy. Like, that's their new definition of Nazi. These terms have been used so much and so watered down now. The actual evilness of a Nazi, like, how many times has Trump been called Hitler? Do you know what the hell Hitler did? Like, Trump is nowhere near that level. Yes, he may not be your cup of tea. Yes, he's an asshole. But my God, to compare him to somebody who created mass genocide and tried to take over the fucking world with killing people and torturing them and ripping their families and ripping their riches and handing it to his friends. What, you mean like border, the border separation? What? You said ripping can, families, can right? The, can the Jewish guy jump in on the Nazi yeah, thing please. here? You mind if I just... Well, uh, I love to get, get this border here. separation now, thing because you keep bringing them. that up. Okay. I have actually made the comparison between Trump and Hitler. And I don't, and again, to your point, he is not gassing people. He's not and any of those horrible, horrible things that Hitler So how is he like Hitler, man? Because Hitler started somewhere. He started by discrediting the media. Hello. He started by dividing people. He started by blaming whole groups of people like Trump has done with Arab Americans. And mm-hmm. I'm not saying he's where Hitler was in 1940, whatever, pick your year. But the very beginnings of how Hitler came to power, he found Hitler came to power. And you said your dad's a history buff. Or I, I was a history minor in college. Hitler came to power because all these sanctions had come in at the end of World War One. Germany had been decimated with their economy, as, as you know. You're nodding. I know you know this. You know, and he needed a scapegoat. And he scapegoated the Jews right. and others. Trump, in a lot of ways, is scapegoating whether it's migrants at the border of Mexico, whether it's Arab Americans. He is starting that same process, which, as a Jewish person, makes my antenna go up. What about the Arab Americans has he done? Was it the travel ban? Travel bans won. He said he, he, used, he's the made... he used the countries that were on Obama's watch list for that travel ban. Okay, and so he's... that travel ban was put together by Obama. Okay, and there were Muslim and countries then... that were not on the travel ban. Exactly. Right. So I, if it's, then, so, it's an anti-Muslim so thing. Uh, okay, look, look, let, let, let me. Let me. Okay, I'll, I can answer that. You want me to go in for this? Okay, so what specifically has he done to Arabic people while he's? belittled and berated minorities, including Arabs, during his campaign. Let's look and at... What, okay, hold on. I'm, I'm going to get into that. I got you. So <laughs> while he's gone in and berated um, minorities through his campaign, we've seen one of his main focal points of hyping up his base is defeating ISIS. That's a huge thing he's talked about constantly. Right. So... ISIS being an issue that they are, they are no 100%. They're not an issue anymore, son. Okay. <laughs> he's, he's done his job with ISIS. You you may say that, but I don't think that's been the biggest issue or one of the biggest issues in this I country. So ISIS while terrorism while. off the map. So while he's, okay, but and, and they're a terrorist organization. He's, he's taking them off the map. But we have plenty of other terrorists that have been plaguing this country for plenty of years. And even going back to Charlottesville where he won't denounce them or look and say, you know what, what happened here today was not cool. Anybody who was a part of it, you're the issue was what's going but on in this able country. To forgive and Obama for that in Ferguson, but not Trump for not doing that in Charlottesville. What do you mean? 
for not taking the right step and not condoning that. But what happened in Ferguson? Why were they in Ferguson? Let's compare. Why were they in Ferguson compared to why are they in Charlottesville? I mean, we can really get into it and like really get into the facts. It's not of the that court hard. It's very simple. Because Ferguson started off with police brutality. Charlottesville started because white people were Ferguson upset started about off with a, a false narrative that exploded into the hands up, don't shoot. When in all police testimony and all the court findings and even witness testimony said he never had his hands up. He never said don't shoot. There's police video corroborating that we can't just take every situation and say this is it. Sometimes you got to look at the facts of the situation, look at the circumstances, and understand. Like the Philando Castro thing, that is the worst thing I've ever seen in my life. There are like 30 of those in the past, like, however many years, Me and you will agree with that all day. The Michael Brown thing in Ferguson, I have doubts. I don't know. I wasn't there, but I have doubts. And same thing with Trayvon Martin. You said you hated George Zimmerman. I also have doubts doubts about that not that i know what happened but from the facts that were provided and even to the court that's why he got off because there was a reasonable doubt doesn't I, help that the police have been called to george zimmerman's house like four times yeah zimmerman's an idiot <laughs> yeah, he's still running around <laughs> don't yes. take me defending these uh, as but the, defending I, I but the, the point context, is george zimmerman's not the hell i would want to die on if i were you but but, but i'm talking about the facts and the narrative because in that trayvon martin story there were so many different versions of it you know like they were wrestling on the ground the, and then the forensics reported this and you know from a legal perspective, and that's where I, from that's a legal where I'm looking perspective, at I'm not a practicing attorney, but I have a law degree. From a legal perspective, I believe acquittal was the proper decision. Because there wasn't enough. There was insufficient evidence. There was evidence to suggest that Trayvon was on top of him and was pounding his head into the pavement. But, right. I, but can, I lost friends over that just but, by saying these are the facts, and I, there's nothing I can do about that. You don't know, so why are you so convinced well, it, that you know what happened? And let's segue right there because that's the perfect segue. And, and I've talked about my experience. You just mentioned yours. This whole concept of I'm going to lose friends because we're having a political discussion. Right. That was sort of the spirit of why we're sitting here right now. Yeah. I've lost friends over this. Apparently you have. Eric, I don't know if that's come up uh, to mm-hmm. you or you've you, – Yeah, you've, 100%. You've walked away from someone or someone's walked away from I you. have too, yeah. Yep. We yeah. all have. If I had a friend that was like coming out as a, uh, an actual Nazi or like a, a white supremacist, I'm not saying never walk away from friends. Trim the hedges. Like I, 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 keep my, I keep my social circle pretty tight. I mean, I have like four or five people I really Let's leave trust. your personal grooming habits out of this. Well, thank you very much. <laughs> you have to get rid of you know people from time to time. So I'm not saying never detach from someone or disassociate because I think there's times that it's appropriate. But I had a constitutional argument about the punching the Nazi thing, expressing my concerns for it very calmly, not charged, describing why I thought it was concerning, uh, a concerning precedent to set. And... Specifically in that issue, the criticism was of Donald Trump saying Donald Trump needs to come out and condemn those people and say and defend the people that throw rocks at him. That was the context of the conversation I was having. And I said, look, as the president, his oath of office is to uphold the Constitution. Those people have the literal, clearly identified, the literal right to do exactly what they were doing. They were in a peaceful protest. In peaceful by legal definition, they weren't throwing things at anyone. You're allowed to yell hateful stuff. That's been upheld by the Supreme Court. You're allowed to say crazy shit. You're not allowed to say fire in a theater, but I'm allowed to stand on the corner and say, you know, death to all whatever. You're allowed to do that. The Supreme Court for the consequences if you do. Right. Well, that's that's all I say. Freedom of speech, not freedom of consequence. But the (laughs) argument was that Donald Trump should have condemned those people, I agree with that part, and defended the people that were assaulting them. And my position was the President of the United States, who is sworn under oath to uphold the Constitution, cannot come out and rubber stamp 
someone fine in the face of the Constitution and, and cannot rubber stamp someone interfering with a person's constitutional rights, whatever we may think of them. The Constitution is not in place to protect rights that are self-evident to the point where everyone would love them. People's right to you know, not get shot uh, on the street for no reason whatsoever. I mean, there's certain things that we can say, anyone of reason sound mind can say that you have a right to walk down the street and not get shot in the head for no reason. When you get into this blurred line of, oh, okay, is it okay to punch a Nazi? Should we punch a Nazi? The president has to defend people's right to say terrible shit. And that's the Constitution. And if you don't like it, you can maybe start a movement to amend the Constitution, but this is the country that we live in. And that's a separate argument. But back to the point, I had friends that I had been friends with for years that based on my just argument about it, calmly, not passionate, didn't call anyone a name, said that I was espousing Nazi principles, that I was of questionable background, and they didn't want anything to do with me anymore. And I haven't talked to those guys since. That was almost two years ago. And I think that, and we've all shared at the table that we've experienced that as well, I think we need to get away from this where you voted this way, I'm done with you. You guys are friends from what I can gather. I don't know you guys. I know you guys maybe individually, but not as a, a unit. But you guys have disagreed with almost everything that we've talked about here. Yeah. And we're sitting here like adults and having the conversation. Because there's a lot we do agree on. Mm -hmm. Like, I think the best part between us is the core is the same. The fringe stuff around it. Like, we both want safety for our families. We both want to have prosperity in this country. We both want to feel like we're a part of something bigger than us. And unfortunately, Eric doesn't feel that he's included in the party. Um, and but that's true. Like that's just a simple way to put it. Is he thinks I got a free pass maybe into the party because I was born a different shade than him. But at the end of the day, we both want the same thing. We're both equal in my eyes. And unfortunately, I get called a racist sometimes because I demand equality, and that's a scary thing because it also demands accountability across the board. Well, can you explain yeah. that a little bit when you say you demand equality and yeah. that comes off as racist? I want to know where you're going there. Because I won't let someone use race as an excuse. Okay. I won't let somebody use their upbringing as an excuse. I don't allow that shit but because it gets you absolutely nowhere. It's not going to help you in life. I grew up in a spot with very rich African-American families, and I've grown up in a spot with very poor white families. And the very poor white families are just as disprivileged as the very poor black families. And the very rich white kids are just as privileged as the very rich black kids. So to me, I demand equality. I'll never let Eric say, I can't do this because I'm black. Because to me, that's the worst mentality you can ever have in any walk of anything. I don't want him to think that way. And the only way I think we can all move on with this is if we all demand equality out of each other, whether it's uncomfortable or not. Now, what you're doing is what I have the biggest problem with with white people in America. You don't get to tell other people who stand outside of your skin how to feel. Like, when black people feel like, or when minorities feel like they're not included in a situation or... There are facts and evidence that show they are not put in positions to win the way white people have is factual. Like, there's evidence to speak to that. And my point is... But what does wh letting that control your mind help you? Like, I, now, that that's, I, that's, what I, that's what I'm saying. Like, okay, now, hold on, hold on good. a second. I agree We've with you. We've established that. You we, may be disadvantaged, but fuck it. Who cares? No, 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 Move no, no. on. No, my point is this. If my dad's telling me that, I'm going to listen. You as a white man... I feel like so many minorities, especially black people, have been 
told what to do by white people for so long. They've been told what to do without listening to why we feel the way we feel. And that's why the disconnect racially is so powerful in this country. So while you may be correct, the black people shouldn't be looking at race as a hindrance to who they are. Or you even spoke to it earlier about racial politics and I'm you know proud to be black. I feel like James Brown made that song because during that time, black people for years and centuries were treated as less than human beings. So for us to make a song and just put symbolism about why we're proud to be who we are is necessary. And it's but getting offended me. that I don't look at you that way to me because look, I don't look at me as what that I don't look at you as less privileged. I don't. OK. I look at you as my equal. OK. And People get mad at me for that because they're like, damn it, I want you to acknowledge my struggle. I want you to acknowledge this. And it's like, I do acknowledge it. But at the end of the day, your life is going to be up to your actions, not what happened 200 years ago. Right. And I think the delivery of that is what's most important because from how it just came off from you, you're not wrong about what you're saying. But I feel like white people need to spend more time understanding minorities and why we feel fucked up and why we don't feel like we're included in this country the way we should. I feel like so much white people are sitting here saying, oh, well, you have a black president and you have Beyonce and Jay-Z and LeBron <laughs> and millionaires and you guys are great. Like, no, sit and listen and understand why we say Black Lives Matter. Sit and understand why we've been discriminated because of our names or our hairstyle or like that and kind of shit matters. And to me, I was offended at first with Black Lives Matter. Like I was one of those guys like all lives matter, all lives matter. Me too. And I 100% used to until say that. I shit. realized that your message wasn't meant for me. Wow. 100%. You're spot on. And You're spot on. Like I don't need to hear Black Lives Matter. No. Like that's the that's a given. You to will, me. You do need to hear it, but I feel it's like it's not something right. Right. I, no, I totally understand what you're saying, but in terms of the, like the all lives matters guy, I used to say that same shit too. But people only use it in a way to not have to say, well, Black Lives Matter. Like people you see Blue Lives Matter and like all this other kind of stuff, but people were willing to say those terms first without acknowledging that Black Lives are important too. We're not sitting here saying like people have always said, oh, why don't you say Black Lives Matter too as a slogan? Because that defeats the purpose. We have to go that far out of our way to explain a simple narrative, you're not listening. But you're the, not paying attention to what the message really is. And the thing with the Black Lives Matter thing that I also had kind of an issue with at first is what you alluded to earlier. Like, Martin Luther King had white people. Once white people finally bought into Martin Luther King, like, that's when things really started to pop. And for me, it was kind of putting a guy like me who wants everybody to view you as equal at an arm's length. Like, hey, once again, I'm not part of that party. You know, I'm not black, so I can't really be in that party. Right. And that's what made it hard for me to get behind it as a white guy. And my thing is this. While you you say you can't get behind it or push it, you're speaking against it, which is the problem. While people may not understand it or think, okay, this is maybe not my conversation to have. But when you do jump in the conversation, it's more of a demonstrative. You should be this. America's great and da, da, da. Think about it like this. When we say Black Lives Matter, it's giving the impression that this country needs fixing, right? Donald Trump ran a campaign saying, make America great again, saying America needs fixing in his eyes. When black people and minorities say that this country needs fixing, how we've been saying for decades and centuries, white people's number one go-to, no, sorry, not white people, excuse me, sorry, you guys. <laughs> 
What do you mean? The you offensive guys? white people, racist number one response is if you don't like this country, get the hell out of it. Leave. Go find somewhere else to go. Why do minorities always have to leave when we express an issue about a country or somewhere that we live? You guys rather tell us to leave and go handle our own situation or handle our own communities before you give some help or understand what our plight really is. I feel like, again, people spend so much time telling minorities how to feel, what you should think, how you should be able to thrive and flourish in America when you don't understand what it's like to be in our shoes in this country and why we feel like we're not as included or have the opportunities as others. Do you feel like you understand what it's like to be white in this country? No. Okay. Not at all. I would never, like, it's, it's a very popular conversation amongst black people where we have a lot of slave movies. We just had Roots come out a few years ago, and black people were sitting here saying, oh, we have too many of these. We don't need to, you know, have so many, da 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 Right. People combated with um, with Jews as well. Oh, they have hella Holocaust stories and movies here, movies there. Are you telling them how to feel? No. I would never tell another group of people how to feel. Same thing with the N-word. I understand if people feel like it's, insulting for us to be saying it i also happen to think it's dope i feel like to take the ugliest word in american history and turn into and turn into a term of endearment right. is lit but that is black people's conversation to have if you want to have it come sit down at the conversation listen and understand before you say this is what it is sorry if that messed up anything i think i think you're i think you're coming to sort of the grand scheme of this entire conversation and back full circle to where we started which is this we need to get to a place where we listen to each other, mm-hmm. whether that's left, right, liberal, conservative, black, white, purple, green, whatever it is. I think the race conversation the two of you are having is almost in some ways a microcosm of this whole left, right thing where we get so siloed and so stuck in our views that the key to solving any of this or at least to start to it is to listen to the other side. Yep, real quick, real quick. So we were talking about removing friends on social media and us not being able to understand each other. I've always believed what we what we started this off with. You should be able to have differences and still be able to look at yourself as friends. But in this time, we're seeing people expose a lot of their true colors. And again, it's not people just arguing why they support Trump. It's their lack of understanding. It's their ignorance. It's the lack of true understanding or effort into understanding why people feel the way they feel. So if I tell you I support Colin Kaepernick because he stands for black people and you say he's disrespecting the military, and I've said four times to show you videos of Nate Boyer saying he's the one who suggests he's not uh, disrespecting the military, but you're still talking about it, that's the issue. And that's why we still cool, because we're able to have a conversation and listen and how you ended it, what's the resolution? Right. Like That's what the end result well, should be. Alexander Hamilton in the Federalist Papers talked about a couple hundred years ago the key to successful political debate and compromise is how you enter it with what's your mindset of your opponent. If you go into any debate, any discussion, any mediation, assuming the worst about your person across from you's intentions, my opponent has malicious intent, they're out to screw me, they're evil, they're a bigot, they're hateful, they're my enemy, you're never going to get anywhere. And you're going to be in an adversarial relationship at the negotiating table from the beginning to the end, and you're not going to get a a good result for anybody, you have to go in assuming the best about your opponent, no matter how impassioned your differences may be. And your opponent may have malicious intent. It's not to say that they never do, but we are at a phase now where we enter every discussion with, oh, they're a bleeding heart liberal, or oh, they're a Nazi far-right lunatic. You know, again, people were seeking to separate Eric and I along these lines, that Oh, Eric, you can't work with that guy. 
because you know he's racist. He doesn't believe in blacks having a different experience in America or whatever such nonsense. That there was a conscious effort just to destroy with no benefit at all because there was an assumption of, of my beliefs. And I think the hack to this whole thing is to treat people as individuals. So if Eric is going to sit here and tell me about his life experiences, what he's experienced as a black person or just as a person that grew up in Farmington Hills, am I right? Mm-hmm. As a person that grew up in Farmington Hills, whatever it is, black, a person from Farmington Hills, a person from Michigan, a person under six foot five, it doesn't matter. I'm going to react to his experiences, and if there's something that I find troubling, I'm going to say, look, that's bullshit, and we got to fight that, or that cop was an asshole, or that person treated you wrong. My personal feeling is I think if we get too big in the group as my experience as a this, my experience as a that, it doesn't mean that your experience as a black person is irrelevant because I think it can be extremely relevant. But I don't like blanket solutions. I don't like we have to fix this race relation. Tell me what exactly was done that was wrong. And it, it, go, it goes right or left. I mean, this isn't a problem unique to the left or the right. People have this, and I hate to keep using the term boogeyman, but it's like this general sort of scattershot solution. We have to work on police brutality. Okay, like what does that look like? But the bottom line is if I'm going to sit here and say, oh, Eric's an asshole liberal or Jag is is an asshole liberal or or my, my, my friend That's Sam Stick Day. <laughs> <laughs> my, my good friend Sam Stick Day is an asshole far-right righty. We're not going to get anywhere. So I, I credit everyone at this table for having some cognizance of this fact that, look, you guys can disagree to the cows come home, and you guys have throughout this process, but you've also reached points where you agree. And we're going to probably walk out of here, and I don't think you're going to trip Eric walking up the stairs, Stick. I, I mean, I that. think, yeah, well, maybe you will. <laughs> if he does, it's going to be got, for other reasons. My sleeves been rolled up. You know, yeah. We'll yeah. see what happens. But uh, <laughs> I, I think we have, to, we have to get away from this, assuming the worst about our enemies. Everyone's a piece of shit. They're a, a bleeding heart liberal. Or, uh, they're a heartless right wing. Got to get away from that because that's defeating of both sides. It's just bad strategy. It's, it's not even, I'm not even making a moral argument. Oh, let's all be kumbaya. Let's get along. Can't we all just be friends? I'm not even making that argument from a pure strategic standpoint. You are defeating to your own purpose if that's the tack you take. You can win in the short term. You can get that short little, you know, there's this thing on the right now. Oh, we're owning the libs. And they got this Trumpy bear they're selling for 60 bucks now. We're owning the libs. We're just pissing off the liberals. You might get that short-term satisfaction, but guess what? They're going to beat you at the ballot box if you piss them off too much. And, and you, you got to it's, – it's not healthy And for nobody's the winning. <laughs> like, no. that's the thing. Everybody like, we're loses. We're on the same team. Nobody's winning. I, I feel like really? everybody's losing with this, with this <laughs> stuff. Yeah, Abraham but. Lincoln had a great quote about that too. It's like, I don't like this guy. I got to get to know him better. Yeah, that's great. I've never heard that, but that's great. Me neither. And that's the approach everybody should take. If you don't like someone, that's the person you should try to get to know more and figure out why they are the way they are, and that way they won't be such a threat to you. Right. Just stop assuming the worst about people. So uh, I'll let anyone else chime in. We're going to wrap up here, but if you have any uh, closing thoughts on the discussion, I don't want to close the door on you. Uh, Eric, you got anything for us before we wrap? No, I'm happy, man. I think you know this was necessary. Definitely struck a chord in that, you know, that conversation that we had on social media because I felt like it was going to spiral off into how I've seen every, you know, internet conversation go. <laughs> Fuck you, da 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 this, that, and the third, blocked. Like, I wouldn't want to do that to you, dude. You've been too influential in my life. Like, you're a great person, and that'll never change. Like, you family, as far as I'm concerned. Blood couldn't make us closer. But I think these conversations are where it needs to start, and I think a lot more listening needs to occur on both sides to make these dreams happen. I feel like Dave Chappelle said it best when he was on SNL. He said, I'm wishing Donald Trump uh, luck and I'm, you know, wishing him the best. I'm hoping I'm giving him a chance and I'm hoping he 
in terms of the disenfranchised gives us a chance too. And I think that's where it's going to have to start, that listening and that open door of real communication. Because people say it all the time. I feel like these kind of conversations need to come to some kind of resolutions. People always say, oh, we can agree to disagree. I feel like racism and equality and these kind of social issues should come to some kind of resolution. This isn't, is LeBron the greatest of all time? This isn't pineapples on pizza. This is the direction <laughs> of our country. No and no. This is fair. <laughs> I, no, actually, no, not fair. We'll talk about pineapples <laughs> on pizza later. But, nah, I feel like these kind of, like, people say, oh, I, don't, I hate talking about politics and I, we don't do it at our table. Why? We vote. We're Americans. This is what our country's about. Let's talk about this shit so we can have some understanding about it. I feel like that's step one more than anything. I don't have all the answers right now. I wish I did, but I feel like step one has to be what we're doing here. Well said, Eric. Thank you. Thank you. Stick. Uh, no, this is exactly why I made the comment, we need to have this conversation in person. And I do that all the time on Facebook when people really want to get going into some serious debate because you can read things the wrong way. Mm-hmm. You can take things the wrong way. You can interpret tone how you want, and so much can be misconstrued, and you won't be able to correct your point if it was taken the wrong way in that moment. So going back to what we originally started with this, this type of conversation is what's needed for this country to move forward, embracing each other's differences. And the only way I'm going to learn about the black experience is to talk to Eric, to talk to my best friend Wellington, to talk to people I'm I'm surrounding myself with. You have and a black friend named Wellington? My best friend since I was five. What up, Wellington? <laughs> uh, he's half white, half black, ah, but, okay. but the darkest black kid you'll ever meet in your life. It's, Damn. It's, it's really crazy. That's deep. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and the reason we're best friends is in grade school, this is a, just a quick story, you know, all the other kids, because his dad would pick him up and he's white, and all the other kids talk, 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 because it mm-hmm. was such a weird thing. You know, I, I'm, I'm an 80s baby, so in the 80s, it was even more taboo. Uh, and I was the only person to walk up to him and be like, is that your real dad? You know, and <laughs> everybody else was asking the question, but I was the only one. And, you know, we played on the same baseball teams together. We became best friends. And we've always had this open discourse about race, about what he goes through. And, and we disagree, too. We, we disagree on a lot of things. But I think he understands where my heart is and where I'm more of a, somebody who sees perfection and where it can be. And I, I try to get it there and sometimes it comes across the wrong way you know it's like demanding equality and stuff like that because Mm -hmm. like you said that's that's not something that should be my position to demand that out of you Mm -hmm. but at the end of the day that's how i see you and that's how i want everybody to see each other and that's why i'm here well it was a pleasure i want to bring in jag here to wrap our producer jag uh, i know you have some thoughts on this debate i thought you made a couple interesting points along the way where do you stand on this whole thing? I mean, do you think that we need to just be cooler? I mean, what, 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 I mean uh, I've been know? told I need to be cooler for 38 <laughs> years. Just, you know, Joe, 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 Joe I, it's funny because it's such a simplified, dumbed-down version uh, t- to summarize and, and to just wrap it. But Joe Rogan has a big thing of, like, things would just be a lot better if everyone was just cool. If we just agreed to be cool. We can disagree, but everyone just be cool. Like, where do you stand on this? Wrap, wrap it, bring us home. I think as somebody who is about as anti-Trump as it gets, I've really enjoyed hearing Stick's point of view on things because Stick is a, somebody that I've known for six, seven years now and whose opinion I respect, both professionally and personally. It's been interesting to hear your side of it, but you've backed it up with factual information and, and you've got reasons behind your opinion. So it's been educational for me to hear the other side of it because I fall into that trap where I post on Facebook and, oh, my God, Trump's an idiot, 
Trump's an asshole, et cetera, et cetera. I can't believe it. Is it 2020 yet? I mean, I'm guilty of doing that. But hearing the other side has been a beneficial experience for me. You know, you asked about how do you beat Trump in 2020. You look at what the uh, Democrats did in 2018 to take the House back and that they kept a narrow focus on not getting into the gutter with Trump, but focusing on health care, health care, health care, health care. And they were able to take seats back in the House. They weren't able to take the Senate. So that means it'll be interesting to see how it works in 2020, where their message goes and how they, how, and how much they stick to it. And it's going to be a very interesting two years for sure. But I think if we all listen to each other, uh, it can be a much better experience for all of us. Well, I don't yeah. think Trump's going to run in 2020. Oh, come on. I honestly don't. No, well, that'd be I a, think, that'd be I think his ego would dictate it. In the history of the country, no one has just stepped away from an incumbency. Welcome to the Trump presidency. Well, that's fair. <laughs> you, using historical precedents yes. as any predictor for Donald Trump, that, okay, I'll give you that. Uh, Touche. I'll wrap here by just saying, look, I voted for Gretchen Whitmer in the Michigan election that we just had a week ago. For a fix the damn roads. So well, yeah. great slogan. <laughs> everyone, but, everyone talks about. But that, but that goes to the same same thing. Uh, the Democrats nationally had health care as a, as a rallying cry. She had fix the damn roads as a rallying cry because we can all agree that we need to fix the roads in Michigan. Well, True. fix the damn roads. She she did, and that was very clever and it was effective. But I, the reason that's how I voted for her. I, I actually called out that slogan as as effective but ineffective for me because everyone's talked about fixing the roads for twenty five years in this, and she made it her slogan. And no one else did. But everyone's been she talking said, about damn. Right, damn. <laughs> which meant, you know she was real, serious and cool. Like I just came from the west side of Michigan, which is one of the most conservative places in the world, and hearing damn in a political commercial to those people was just like shocking. Look, I am a right of center moderate. So I'm I'm not right wing, <laughs> but I'm a right of center moderate, okay? I voted for Gretchen Whitmer because she just said, Look, enough's enough. There were a couple efforts to bring her down into the mud, not by shooting necessarily, but by you know, sort of fringe right-wing groups that were releasing ads attacking her. And she just said, look, enough of the nonsense. We're not going to get into this. We got problems. We got to fix them. Now, whatever you think of if she's going to be effective at that and actually addressing anything, that's irrelevant. But in terms of messaging, I know what will work for me in 2020. I'm willing to vote for a Democrat in 2020. I don't know if I would vote for Donald Trump right now. I, I still don't like Donald Trump, to be honest. But if they, if the Democrats take a message of, White people are evil, and uh, white supremacy, and uh, and we got to talk about identity politics for three and a half hours of a four-hour debate. Then I'm out. I have no interest in it. There was one point where Gretchen Whitmer, in her campaign, um, was responding to Bill Schuette talking about her just being Jennifer Granholm 2.0, and she said, "Oh, well, that's sexist. You know, not all women are the same." That was the that was the low point for me in her campaign. I don't want to hear sexist, race. I don't want to hear that stuff. It doesn't speak to me. Right. That's not why I would consider voting for Donald Trump, because I hate black people or hate Jewish people or hate Arabic people. I mean, it, it, it does nothing for me. Yeah, I get why, why Hillary does. lost. Just, right. I'm a woman. Vote for me. It's, Stop. Like, it's right. not enough. Right. And you're you the wrong be good. woman. You've got to be great. Right. I, I, I'm out on that messaging. So if, you, if they go, and I know you guys both said nice things about Cory Booker. I don't agree on Cory Booker. I think Cory Booker is a, a divisive force in his own way, and I think he plays that identity politic game. If they go that route, if they go that far left, we're going to attack, we're going to get in the mud, and we're going to drag it down. I'm out. I'm not saying they can't win that way, but I'm out. I want discussions like the ones we're having now. I, I don't necessarily like John Kasich, but I like his messaging. I like his approach. So I think that's where we need to land. I think this conversation was good to have. I think it would be better for the country if more occurred like it. I think we can assume the best about our opponents in this room. 
Uh, there's some different opinions flying all over the place. I think we got more right-wing guy, two left guys, and more center guy and me. Hate to put people in boxes, but it seems that way. But we sat here and we had an, a conversation, backed it up with facts, and, and no one is throwing anything across the table. So. We can, we can it's agree It's an expensive here. studio. That's why we're yeah, not Yeah, yeah that's right. why we're all trying to be nice, for real. Anyway, it's been a pleasure, guys. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you to Stick. Thank you to Eric Vincent. Thank you to Jag for producing. It's been a pleasure to fire up the Spiro Avenue podcast. I think this was a great way to do it. Thank you all for listening. Thank you again to our uh, three people in studio here. Uh, it's been a pleasure, guys. I'd like to have you back sometime. It's, it's been great. Thank Absolutely. You so much. All Thank right. you. This has been Spiro Avenue. Justin Spiro produced by Jag in Detroit. Thank you all for joining us. We are out. Thank you for listening to the Spiro Avenue podcast. Follow Justin on Twitter at Darko State News.